last week, I was like, holy shit, that is, that has been a huge part of my life too. So, um, yeah, I've lost, what I lost, to come on I've lost paperwork. This cost me tens of thousands of dollars yeah. and a great deal of aggravation and humiliation. I sold a car and didn't get proper paperwork for it. And so I was on the hook for all sorts of uh, parking tickets. Holy shit. Hey, I can tell... Maybe I shouldn't share this, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. Hey, right. Safe space. Yes, it's a safe space here on the Luke Ford Show. It's between you and me, nobody listening. Yeah. Uh, so look, I could... <laughs> I have this issue, right? Back in something like 2014, Luke, right, the early stages of Bitcoin, I got into Bitcoin as like a kid, right? Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere on a hard drive, I could have like at least a minimum number of Bitcoins, like at least the number on like, uh, that you could maybe count in a hand but potentially a huge number somewhere. And this is now like 10 years, over 10 years ago. I was a kid at the time. Um, many computers since. I have these things on like hard drives, uh, basically in the attic. And, you know, just the potential, just the like impossibility. The task just seems so enormous. And I've never been able to put myself through attempting to find these things. And yet, and this, this is going to sound absolutely insane to anybody that's listening. They're going to be like, what the hell? Are you ridiculous? You could have like a life-changing amount of money sat there or something. But just like the, it just, there's just like this blockage or something. That's this blocking thing in front of my, in front of my mind to just, put myself through the task of attempting to go and look for this shit yeah yeah i've I've always had to do that which is exciting that resonate? yeah absolutely i mean losing routine paperwork not keeping track of important details and constantly searching for stimulation and excitement and and just having my mind check out when I, i'm faced with mundane routine reality that is not exciting and i mean just the wreckage of the consequences of that are just absolutely enormous and i was talking to a friend and suddenly i found out that he'd been diagnosed with adhd and he talked about how he could have done great in school but he just couldn't pay attention to detail so smart guy accomplished guy but his life choices were severely narrowed because if his inability to, you know, concentrate on routine details. Yeah. So when I heard you mention that, I I hadn't even realized that this is, is like a big consequence of ADHD. Like, I still don't think that I'm tempted to go and get medicated, Luke. Um, and, you know, after I, I played on one of my streams, uh, that walk and talk video you did where... I said Luke Ford psychoanalyzing my situation here, but much of it was true. Many of the things that you're saying were true. Uh, but loads of people came and were counseling me um, against it. And <laughs> um, 
Uh, how many of those people yeah. who are counseling you against it do you think were married with kids, six-figure incomes, or did they want to keep you a, a loser like them? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I don't think people see themselves as losers and want them and want me to be a loser. It, it's a funny thing uh, because advice always comes uh, from a place of I think people are seeing seeing you fuck up, pun French, uh, but and and or potential pitfalls, and it comes from a a good place, wouldn't you say? Or do, do you really think well, that people it's, are thinking, it's okay, well, I want to drag this guy down? No, I, I don't think they're explicitly fe feeling, I want to drag this guy down. But we see the world as we are much more than than as, as the world is. So people generally don't want you to change. I mean, people who enjoy your streams don't want you to change, even though what may well be in your best interest may well be for you to stop streaming. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not recommending this. Uh, I'm just saying that mm. your best interests and the viewer's best interests uh, may be, in fact, going in completely opposite directions. Yes. I'm getting a lot of bumping with the mic. I don't know if you're able to not bump your mic. I mean, Sorry it sounds good aside from, aside from the bumping. But aside from the idea of giving advice comes from a good place, it comes from the place of the person who's giving the advice. And so uh, if, if someone's messed up, they are overwhelmingly going to give you messed up advice. They, they can't help it. If someone's in a good place, they're probably going to give you good advice because, again, they almost can't help it. So uh, for I remember in one of my 12-step programs, it talks about the need to rescue and the need to be rescued come from the same sick place. I, I know at various points in my life, I've wanted to be rescued and then I've also had times where I've gotten, you know, an emotional high from rescuing others. And, and yeah, I recognize that comes from a sick place. And, and so we can't do anything but speak from the position that we're in. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just be highly skeptical that these are high-functioning people who are telling you stay just the way you are. Yeah. Uh, how have you dealt over the years with, like, audience capture, Luke? Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but people no, it's the right term, and I've struggled with. Uh, I mean, it's been intoxicating to me because, you now I grew up in in foster care, so I, I've always been looking for love. You know, I wouldn't do so many live streams if I wasn't looking for love, and if I wasn't so awkward at you know getting and receiving it in in real life. So, audience applause is is you know highly. Uh, emotional experience for me it, it's it's you know, really just washed over me but then uh, i've seen the the humiliation that has often resulted from it and and so i guess just the the pain and humiliation all right i have it's nothing without specifics so um i will get a bigger audience the more extreme the shows i do all right. And and the more I will get more applause, the more extreme I go and the more anti-establishment I go. So I noticed that when I really burst on the scene in, in 2018, like doing shows with Mike Enoch and Eric Stryker 
and people of that ilk. You know, those would get the most views, the most applause. And when I could say anything that was at all akin or sympathetic to what these people were saying, that's what would get me the most applause. And luckily, at about the same time I started doing that, I read The Dangerous Perils of the E-Personality. And I kind of, I was able to somewhat spot what was happening, but I still got, I still got sucked in, right? I, I still, yeah. you know, said things that I regret. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's, but it, it's a symptom. This is almost everything's a symptom of something deeper. So to the extent that I've been able to build a life of self-respect for myself over the past six years, approximately, uh, the less vulnerable I become to audience capture. So the the problem is not audience capture. The problem is how vulnerable am I to things like audience capture, but also a hundred other things as well. Uh, so as long as I'm vulnerable, you know, people are going to come along and take advantage of my vulnerability or they're going to, you know, uh, incentivize me to go in, in directions that are against my best interests. But the problem's not audience capture and the problem's not o- other people. The problem is that I don't consistently lead a life of self-respect from the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed. Once I have a pretty good handle on that, then audience capture largely disappears as a problem. You know, once you like, so for me, adopting the mindset that everybody knows everything. So graduating from the idea, I'm trying to get away with something. Uh, so that was essential. Also, yes. what would... Okay what would my words and deeds look like if they were published on the front page of the New York times fairly and and accurately? I mean, imbibing those two ideas kind of helped me to develop a life of self-respect and then audience capture just didn't become much of much of a problem. Like I used to like to gamble in high school, but I haven't gambled since high school uh, because I, kind of got that sorted out that gambling's not good for me so i watch sports and there are innumerable gambling ads but they don't really have much of an effect on me and so audience capture no longer has much of an effect on me because i've largely created a life that from the time i get up usually on average at 4 a.m the time i go to bed usually on average about 8 9 p.m i'm pretty much doing everything that not only I would respect, but my family would respect, people in my synagogue would respect, and you know, you would respect if you, you know, knew the details. It's not like when I'm not live streaming, I'm engaging in, you know, behavior that I'd be you know, appalled and ashamed and embarrassed to have, you know, put forward to the world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you experienced it too. The moment that you start to get a little popular. People want to befriend you, um, and people like um, you become more uh, interesting to people, or people just want to have you around, and then they start talk talking to you or feeding you things that they want you to do. Uh, am I resonating in any way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because I How mean, everyone no has their own people, agenda. Luke? How do you say no to Again, people who you, yeah. who's who you want to impress? How do you do? Yeah. That? Yeah, so I definitely have, there are a lot of people who I want to impress, uh, mm-hmm. but that's a, a symptom once again. Once I get myself sorted out so that I develop self-respect, then my need for other people to provide me 
you know, with admiration or, you know, give me positive strokes, uh, that just considerably diminishes. So this desire to accommodate others, it's a symptom of not respecting yourself, right? Self-esteem is the opinion, is the reputation you have with yourself. And if you can develop a good reputation with yourself, then it's not nearly as important to one to to uh, meet the needs of other people, particularly if you see them going against your own, own best interests. So I think it's it's primarily a matter of getting yourself together, developing a good reputation for yourself with you know a life worthy of self-respect, and then these other problems considerably diminish. So I'll still meet people who intoxicate me, you know, particularly you know pretty young women yeah. or very successful and accomplished uh, men. And it's like, oh, you know, I just want to hang around with these people. I want their their good opinion. But mm. my yearning for that is considerably diminished if I'm standing on my own two feet and I'm leading a life that not just I would respect, but would be considered respectable if it was broadcast to the world. Sure. Yeah, that's... Yeah, th those two are often in conflict um, as I see it. You know, I never go around thinking, do I respect myself or things like that. Um, I think in many ways my self-esteem is in probably wholly in what other people think of me. Um, and as I go around in the world, I'm thinking, how, how do other people judge me? How do I come across? Uh, what is my reputation? Uh, to these people based upon what they know of me already i rarely ever i rarely ever spend a moment to think ah, yeah maybe we're just in, in in two different mindsets here so you you go around thinking do i respect myself like actively is that what you're saying well that's my my primary goal now i i i definitely get around other people and uh, i think why aren't they including me why had they invited me? I, I went on a hike uh, a few months ago and I ran into four acquaintances of mine, like people I've known for years. And when we were done saying hi and we'd gone our separate ways, I was thinking it would never have occurred to any of these blokes to invite me along. Uh, so shit, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I still feel that uh, keenly, you know, when I'm not invited to play, uh, when I'm you yes. know not invited in, I, I still feel that. I think, though, my primary consideration is do I respect myself? And and evidence for that is that I frequently do live streams where virtually every single person in the chat disagrees with me. And I, I yes. don't back down. So I am very pro-vaccination. The overwhelming majority of my audience is anti-COVID vaccination. I am pro getting medicated for ADHD. The overwhelming majority of my audience is opposed to getting medicated for ADHD. I believe that the 2020 elections in the United States were, were fair and that uh, voter fraud would not have played a, a significant role in the outcome of those elections. Most of my audience uh, passionately disagrees with me. Uh, I'm coming around on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can, if I can stand up and I can say things that virtually everyone in the chat disagrees with, that to me is, is evidence that I've arrived at a place of self-respect, that I, I say things that, that I respect even yes. though everyone in the chat is, is against me. That, that shows that I can stand on my own two feet.
and that I don't need, yeah. you know, someone else. So I'll just give you one more example. I know I've written something good if after I've composed it, I then open up a new browser and I read the the blog post for myself or the essay for myself. And if I get a chuckle out of it, if I enjoy it, then I know I've written something that's good, even if nobody else comments on the essay or the blog post, right? Even if no one else says yeah. it's good, okay. if I read it in a new browser, look at it, and I enjoy it, and and I, I think I'm making some good points, and I get a chuckle out of it, okay, that's self-authenticating. And so I, I have by no means graduated from comparing myself with others and noticing others. There's no way to graduate, and it's not even desirable. We need to constantly compare ourselves to others for informational purposes. Maybe they're doing things that I need to do. And, you know, there are various reasons, and maybe I need to repair those relationships. Or, I mean, we can't help but compare ourselves to others, but we, we don't have to put the vast majority of our self-esteem in their hands. I find that is, is a very volatile and dangerous thing. Yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly a challenge. Um, certainly, definitely in the early stages of gaining any popularity whatsoever. I feel like in, say, the last few months, my online streaming, for whatever reason, has gone like, it's not necessarily my content, but the attention that I'm getting has gone up a gear. And I've noticed a distinct amount of more attention that I'm getting. I even, even on last night's show, I was just, right, this, just this morning, I was just tuning in to JF Gariepi's show. And there I was just watching it. And halfway through the show, about three quarters through, somebody sends a super chat into JF Gariepi, a guy I've never heard of. And his super chat was, Dear JF Gariepi, there appears to be a young man in England called Stephen J. James, who is on the verge of uh, throwing away his old life or something with, uh, and about to become a dissident on the internet. Would you have any advice for such a young man? And I'm there thinking, what the hell is going on here? Uh, <laughs> and so these are very surreal moments. I don't think I am that guy, by the way. Uh, but other people seem to think that that's the situation I'm in. Um well, yeah. yeah, it comes. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, people will rarely see you as you are. People will project, mm. you know, things onto you, and so I, I think what was going yes. on in that particular instance was someone projecting things onto you because you've been doing more dissident right adjacent live streams over the past few months. So you took a few months off, then you came back and you did um, with that Thomas guy. You've done, you know, you've you've met the those desperate cravings among people on the distant right for some some content there's very little that's out there on on sure. YouTube in particular so you're meeting a desperate desperate need it's just like a woman who's a 5 all right and hmm. and she's hit up by these guys who haven't had sex in years and you know they are flattering her and they are trying to seduce her and you know they are doing absolutely everything they can to try to get their you know needs met with this woman who is objectively a five, but due to the severe nature of their need, you know, she she becomes everything to them. And so there is a huge need for the type of material that you're pumping out. And so people are responding to you from that place of great hunger. Okay, yeah. 
That's what I think. I mean, what do you think of that? It's possible. (laughs) I'd like to believe people can see some potential in me and they want, I think, yeah, I think that's probably it. They want to mold me to become that thing. Um, They see there's a potential for me to become this dissident right-wing commentator or something. I don't know why. Uh, Probably, like you say, it is because I've just started tackling some of these topics. I have Duvid on every other week now. Uh, Immigration's coming up. I'm being I'm being asked to take positions on these things on the internet. It's probably not in my best interest, but when it happens, you do it, don't you? Um, and my instincts are naturally well, let's just call them antithetical to the mainstream. Um, so yeah, people also don't like somebody who oh, is, is like holding back and. So I give a sense of this, that I'm like walking the fence because I'm worried about hate speech laws in the United Kingdom. And that's the right thing to do, I think. I think you would counsel me that this is the right thing to do. Be very careful of what you say. Don't put yourself in any actual uh, real world harm trouble. But people don't like that when they're listening. They want you to drag it out of you and they sense that it's deep within you and you, and you just want to blurt it out. And so they, they like a they're tugging for it to some extent. I mean, I, I can give you another arena where you would get just as much uh, praise and, and maybe even more, and that is if you started becoming a commentator on the world of pornography. Because, again, you don't have a lot of you know intelligent, <laughs> okay. thoughtful people. But if you started... You know, providing you know regular YouTube streams on you know news and and controversies going on in the porn world, just like I did on my blog for ten years, you'd get an enormous amount of attention because one, there is a huge audience for for gossip about the porn industry, and two, you know, very few people are, are providing it, and so mm. so yes, you know, if you wanted to go. Uh, if you wanted to go swim laps in a sewer, right, you wouldn't keep bumping into people, right? There, there wouldn't be many people in the sewer, like getting into your lane and bumping you as, as you go for your, for your morning swim. But uh, most people don't want to swim in a sewer. And for normal society, both the pornography industry and the distant right are considered sewers. Yes, it certainly is. And it, it's swimming with sharks, too. Yeah, uh, so definitely got to be careful of that. <sighs> okay, right, Luke. I think I need to hop off. Um, right, it's been great just talking with you for a few minutes there again. Um, I'm sure I'll have more to discuss in in the future. Sounds good. Uh, take care, Stephen. Bye bye. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for having me, boy. Yep. Bye. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about this new book by Michael Wolf on Fox News. Just read a few excerpts and then play some more clips from Tucker Carlson. Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox News, was largely barred from instructing or even talking to the network's leading primetime anchors and major moneymakers, Carlson and Hannity. What could she tell them, after all, that their ratings did not already say? It was Scott's management mantra, don't fix what isn't broken. And in the variegated ecosystem of Fox misogyny, Laura Ingram was derided as a hopeless drunk, a bad drunk, a puke-spewing drunk. And two, she had thrown herself, drunk or not, at every man in the conservative movement. 
This since her undergraduate years at Dartmouth, that particular hotbed of conservatism in the 1980s, where she first made her reputation and yet never sealed the deal. In a story that has long haunted her, she used a garden hose to flood the basement of a boyfriend who jorted her. She had three adopted children now. She was the telling of many men at Fox and through a socially unreconstructed conservative movement, a gross, pathetic drunk and a skank. Cue the huge peal of laughter. Every on-air woman of Fox was selected for the feminine role that she could fill, aside from Laura Ingram. Roger Ailes was very precise about who he was casting and for what role. Beyond that, each woman needed to be not just white, but not ethnic, not to look Italian, Jewish, Hispanic, Greek, or too far from an Anglo-Saxon, Irish, Nordic standard. Long-legged, usually blonde, and in a hairstyle that said somewhere other than New York and generally a former beauty pageant type. Each needed to have a more particular sexual role function, the girl next door, the vixen, the disciplinarian. It was casting. All had to rise to what Roger Ailes called the American blowjob test. This was a homegrown Roger Ailes theory, which he was pleased to frequently expound upon about every man's evaluation of whether or not a woman would give head and with what verve and style. One of his favorite formulations, to get ahead, you have to give some head. So I'm thinking about the Nicolas Cage movie, The, the Weatherman, and early on, he and his wife go to counseling, and they each have to write something on a piece of paper that they find disappointing about the other. And the Nicolas Cage character wrote down, I feel like your blowjobs lack enthusiasm. <laughs> I mean, how many women out there enthusiastically give blowjobs in an ongoing relationship. Like the enthusiastic blowjobs that I've received have, you know, almost always occurred in the, like the, the first week of a sexual relationship. So uh, generally speaking, I, I think it's, it's true that uh, six weeks is about the half-life of a sexual relationship. So about six weeks in, it will tend to be half as intense as it was at the beginning. Roger Ailes said that uh, news is a variety show. It's sexy girls and outrageous men. Has to be clear what everybody is playing, what role they are in. Everybody needs to play broad, to play big, to play character. Don't try to be subtle. This is America. So the look of cable news when he launched Fox in 1996, it looked like a classroom. I wanted Fox to look more like daytime television. So the women were important. Their job was to be familiar to other women in a non-threatening way.